0: Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an
1: episode. So my name is Sam Armstrong. I'm a community pharmacist in Mall, which is in the Latrobe Valley in Victoria. Um, I've been a pharmacist for 20 years, <clears throat> and I've owned my stores for the last five years. So I own two stores um, that I purchased off who the pharmacist who was my preceptor when I was an intern. Um, I grew up in the area and uh, moved back after finishing uni. So I've been here for a long time. I've done a few trips away and back, but I've ended up back where I grew up. So. Thank
0: you. Um, Sam, can you please describe some of the experiences in your pharmacies or even that you've heard of um, over the weekend from the 1st of July following um, the recent ODT changes?
1: Yeah, so uh, Saturday morning was interesting. Um I wasn't actually rostered on to work in either of my stores, but I made myself available to the other pharmacists that were there just in case there was any hiccups. Um, went into the pharmacy about an hour early to find out that the uh, the software that we use was having an error, a database error, and we, wasn't actually operational. So, um, wasn't the the best start to the day. Um, to their credit, they fixed it quickly, um, but. I think it just sort of highlights the fact of how much pressure they were under to get their software turned around in such a short amount of time um, with the rollout being as rushed as it was. So <clears throat> the initial uh, stages of Saturday were a little bit hectic. Um, trying to learn new dispensing systems, um, how to process scripts, um, patients coming in sort of early on Saturday morning. It, it, and also trying to do it across two stores in the one town, um, I was sort of running back and forth between them, trying to sort of smooth it out as much as I could, because obviously the rest of the dispensing load carried on as normal. So it wasn't sort of uh, isolated to being able to look after that one problem and and that's it. So it was a it was a bit of a <clears throat> an experience. Um, definitely could have been better managed um, across the rollout. I think um, a lot of the pharmacists that I've spoken to are still very unsure about some of the aspects of it. So, I mean, one week in and well, half a week in, and we're, we're still coming up finding scenarios where we just haven't been told how it's to work or, or how to process or proceed. So overall, I, I think the, the role has been pretty poor. So.
0: so people still have many questions? <clears throat>
1: Yeah, so we we still get I still get um, the pharmacists across my stores um, having queries about what to do with what situations. Um, also, phone calls from um, other pharmacists that I know of um, that I've been running a methadone program for. Or pretty much every pharmacy I've ever worked in's had one. So um, twenty odd years. Um, so pharmacists that are a little bit less experienced with it um, are finding the, the the rollout a little bit trickier. Um, so, I've had some phone calls and, and messages from people in that situation. Um, and then just some of the feedback from online forums and, and things like that has been uh, eye opening with some of the situations that people are coming across. So, um, all in all, finding out the finer details of the system nine or 10 days before it was due to be implemented was really made it really hard. Like, we couldn't, up until 10 days beforehand, we didn't know how we went about claiming we, we still don't know everything with how we go claiming for payments um, and, and things like that because it's all done on a portal which we haven't had access to as yet so yeah it's definitely a interesting time
0: so can i ask um can you share a couple of the experiences that you might have heard of that have been really challenging for pharmacists
1: um yeah so one, some of the the issues around it is um, that we that I've sort of been made aware of things like patients whose scripts are going to expire sooner than what they anticipated and then trying to have to um, make new doctors appointments and things like that some of our patients see doctors in the city um, which is obviously two hours away and if, if they don't have transport on a particular day, they may not be able to get down to their, an appointment earlier than what they were if they can get an appointment at all. So um, we've come across that a few times um, with patients that are, are, sh- are already struggling, you know, four, four weeks, five weeks out from when their script might need to be renewed, um, trying to to find, you know, the time um, and the means and, and to get down to their appointment if they can get an appointment with their doctor at all. because. Um as you can imagine the prescribers, there's limited prescribers and there's a lot of patients that need to fit into those appointment times. So that's some of the issues we're finding. Um other ones around um you, you know, it while well, it's, it's it's fantastic that we finally got a government paid system. Um I think everyone's sort of on the same page with that respect. Um it's well overdue from a patient perspective. Um, some of the patients s- still struggle to pay for their scripts um, because of uh, personal situations and things like that. So we've come across that situation where you're like, well, it's a PBS script. How do you supply, it with, you know, without payment and um, and those sorts of things? So yeah, it, it, we're sort of getting new things every day. People with um, complex dosage regimes of Suboxone and and things like that. Um, second third daily pickups how that's going to play out um people who are on higher doses of things if the doctors they're they're, you know one of our patients is a bit concerned that his doctor might not know how to write one of the pbs scripts because the doctor didn't even know that it was happening so um you know when he when he asked the doctor about it the doctor just shrugged and went i have no idea what you're talking about so there's going to be teething issues as there is with every program but I think the fact that it was so rushed and and we didn't find out a lot of the details until you know 10 days before it was due to roll out made it really difficult and it's still really difficult
0: what changes do you think could be made at this point to improve the process
1: um changes to improve the process I I think the process itself isn't isn't overly hard or difficult. It's more the fact that we just didn't know how it was all going to work. And as I said, with the claiming side of things, we still don't know exactly how it's going to work and how complex it's going to be and how time consuming it's going to be. Um, In the greater context of community pharmacy at the moment with 60 day dispensing and and cuts to remuneration in that side of things. um, A lot of pharmacists and pharmacies owners are, Unsure of how they're going to allocate their resources and time. And if we've got a program for a pharmacotherapy program where we don't know how much time is going to be taken up with claiming um, and, and scripts, and you know, we just don't know. And and I think that's part of it is, is there's a bit of concern out there where, because of that unknown, um, I think a lot of pharmacists are, are, are erring on sticking with programs that they are comfortable with um, and that they're familiar with. And, um, and and OTP might suffer because of that, um, which is definitely not what we want to do. Um, as I said, I've been at a methadone program for 20 years that I've been a pharmacist, and it's rewarding and it's not something that we would want to discontinue by any means, particularly now that it's so accessible in terms of patient cost um but in the greater scheme of of things and and financially community pharmacies trying to remain viable um i think a lot of owners and, and and pharmacy managers and things are going to have to allocate their resources accordingly and if otp programs aren't seen to be um uh, financially viable then I've got a really big fear that they're going to close um, because basically we've, we've got to get painted into a point where you only got infinite time, uh, finite time and, and finite resources. And if, if you've got a program that, that OTP programs are traditionally run at cost price or, or, or at a loss and cross subsidised by script volume, um, it, I'm I'm afraid that's probably going to be one of the programs that a lot of parties choose not to continue.
0: Based on how this pro or this process or this program was rolled out, what confidence does it give you for some of the future changes that are proposed and will be happening in a timely manner?
1: Uh none. <laughs> um I, I don't have much confidence in in anything that's been announced or, or or proposed from from the federal um, health department at the moment. Um, I think a lot of pharmacists are a bit disillusioned with the, everything that's happened. Um, a lot of us are feeling very uh, hurt in the way that we were there during COVID, stayed open, um, worked through um, those sorts of things and and were widely praised through it through, by government officials with the COVID rollout of vaccines and things like that. And then to have this done to us, I think it gives us very little um, confidence. That um, and then and then the rollout of, of the OTP program is is just another nail in that in that we just don't have the confidence that they can roll out a program or um, assess the unintended consequences of the policies that are coming out. So I think a lot of us see things that um, might not be um, immediately apparent to uh the public or to some government officials and, and and health department officials in that we've been doing it for a long time we see what the unintended consequences are going to be but they just it just doesn't it seems to be falling on deaf ears um we don't we just don't feel like it's it's being taken seriously and yeah there's a, there's a real I think there's a real fear around a lot of pharmacists at the moment because we just, it's so unknown. Um, um, Personally, owning pharmacies in a town where I grew up and where my family is um, and my staff have been with me for the whole time. Um, Some of the staff have been with the pharmacies for 40 years. And to not know exactly how financially viable the pharmacies are going to remain over the next three years is is difficult because there could be some hard decisions that need to be made mm-hmm. um, with respect to job losses and, and the potential of pharmacy closures as well. Um, yeah, so I think at the moment there's not a whole lot of confidence that, or from my point of view, um, that the programs are, are going to get rolled out in a in a good way.
0: So um, you've mentioned the unintended consequences and them falling on deaf ears, um, which I think is a sentiment that's shared by many. Um, are there yep. any other unintended consequences that you think are important that maybe haven't been focused on?
1: Yeah, I think I think from the experience I have in my in my stores is the biggest one I can see is aged care. Um, We do quite a lot of aged care um, services, um, medication packing, things like that, deliveries um, to multiple aged care facilities. And um, I think the the unintended consequence is is majority of that service is funded through script volume um, and and through dispensing fees. And um, in a a healthcare sector and aged care sector where Um, budgets and things like that are tied on their end. Um, Getting funding from the facilities is hard, um, if you get any at all. Um, And I've got a real fear that a lot of pharmacies that that service aged care facilities are going to, once again, um, have to review whether they keep those services uh, going and and that's going to have a huge flow-on effect to aged care um who their staff are already under unbelievable pressure into particularly in regional areas with staff shortages um and and those and, and having nurse like quotas and things like that they can't fill the shifts so if pharmacy was to pull out of that sector um because it's just not viable anymore um it's going to leave the aged care sector in a, in a really bad spot, I think, um, in that if we, if we don't supply medications in dose administration aids, they're going to have to administer it out of original boxes. And that then takes higher levels of training, um, which is increased cost to the aged care sector. And, and it's already a sector that's under strain and they can't find registered nurses at the moment to fill a lot of spots that they've got, let alone having to increase that need. Um, So that's one intimate consequence I think that a lot of people really don't see um, because um, a lot of it is sheltered by the fact that we generally do it without a whole lot of um, notice. Um, We we pack the medications, we deliver the medications. Um, Two of my aged care facilities are an hour and a half round trip to deliver there every day. So um, there's vehicles that we run, there's um, fuel, those sorts of things, those costs that we're just not going to be able to maintain. Um, and I think that's that's a big one from my point of view is the aged care side of things. Um, the OTP is a big one as well um, because, as I said, um, it's fantastic that finally there is a government-funded program. I think it's something that I don't think you'll ever find a pharmacist that doesn't think that's a good idea. Um but I, th- I think the the overwhelming um, response is that the government funding for the OTP program in a lot of cases is actually less than what we were already charging the patients. Um, so to to have 60 days cut the remuneration out of, of, of the pharmacies and then to then have the government come and say, hey, we're going to pay for this program, but we're going to pay you less than what you're already getting. Um, I think that's... Uh, it's going to be very hard for some pharmacies to make it particularly in regional and the, and the further you get away from the cities um, the harder that's going to be because um, our overheads are higher, our staff costs are higher um, and, and you're just not going to be able to maintain that. So yeah, I, I think they're two of the, they're two of the bigger unintended consequences. The other one is going to be just accessibility. Like, I mean, if if, if we have to shorten business hours or, reduce staffing levels um because wages are the the biggest variable overhead we have um people are gonna notice that they can't see their pharmacist as much as they did and they can't get access as easily as they did for things like vaccines and um and just general counseling so i think that's going to be one of the biggest things as well so there's, and there's going to be more. Like that—that's the thing. Like every every pharmacist you speak to is in a unique situation with their community, with how they fit into their community, and 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 the services they provide. And so the more pharmacies you speak to, the more things you think. Oh well, I didn't think about that. That's going to be a big problem. Um, and I, I don't think with the level of engagement that the federal government's had with community pharmacies, I just don't think it's they understand. I I, I think there's um, a bit of an the ignorance to what we do and the services we provide and the preventative healthcare that that we provide and, and how we keep people, you know, like with um, drug interactions and adverse reactions, keep them out of hospitals. Um, and that flow-on effect is going to end up costing the government more money through, through the public health system when patients have to get admitted when it was something that could have been avoided.
0: Thank you. How did your patients find the process on the weekend?
1: Um, Look, overall, um, my experience with the patients so far has been um, obviously mostly positive because of the financial impact that it's going to make on them, which I think is really good. Um, I've had a few customers actually, um, a few patients actually say, how does this affect you? And and, um, when you sort of have to explain to them that um, with a lot of the government changes that are coming out that... You know, there's there's a real chance that we might have to review whether we keep our OTP programs going. Um, the the realisation on their face that, okay, maybe this isn't the best thing in the world, you know, like um, because if they don't have access to a program at all, what's the good of it being no charge to them? Um, in our area, in the Latrobe Valley, there's... Um, there's not many pharmacies that do it. Some towns only have one pharmacy, some towns have two. Um, We're lucky enough to have three pharmacies do it. Two are my stores and one is another uh, small community pharmacy. Um, But if we we unfortunately have to get to the point where we go, look, we just can't make it viable to do it, you've got 80 to 90 patients who are going to have to find alternate arrangements and it's a long drive to the next town. Or public transport, or you know those sorts of things. Um, and I think the other um, the other thing that we find is we get a lot of patients who come out of um, correctional facilities and things like that, and they need to be on a methadone program or a suboxone program as part of their parole. Um, and and we take a lot of those patients on because we are one of the biggest bigger programs in the area. Um, and if pharmacies in regional areas start to shut down that what are those patients going to do um, and, and and the other one is we have some patients who um, have access restrictions on children things like that through department of human services and part of that might be that they have to be on an OTP program now if pharmacies in regional areas have to start pulling out programs because it's not financially viable to do, um, what do those patients do? You know, like I think there's a lot of these social um, flow-on effects from from things that just hasn't really taken into consideration. Um, and having it come at a time that, once again, so rushed to get it done in the first place, but having it come at a time that the 60-day dispensing is going to come in at the same time, it's going to make it even more difficult for pharmacies to actually implement it and, and make it work so I, th- I think there's a lot of unin- yeah there is a lot of unintended consequences there are a lot of situations where there hasn't been a whole lot of thought put into how is this sure it's going to be fantastic that the patients don't have to pay and and like I said I don't think you'll find a pharmacist that would have an issue with that side of things at all I think it's well overdue uh, but you know we're small business owners as well you know, we, we have, um, you know, financial restrictions on us. Um, you know, we're majority of us are, are, are young pharmacists with young families. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is a business as well. So we have to, we, we've got other um, responsibilities and, and um, things on us as well. So it's, it's not as cut and dry as just saying, oh, look, just, you know, make it work because it's it's really hard to do that and unfortunately I think uh, a lot of people particularly over the COVID years with COVID rollouts and things like that they've come to see it as pharmacists will just make it work um and you know like with the COVID rollout it was pretty botched and pretty bad but pharmacists made it work and I I think there's this overwhelm this sentiment within government that they'll just make it work somehow and I, I just don't know whether we can actually make it work. <laughs> that's that's the sad part about it is with this level of funding change, I just don't, I, I don't know how we're going to make it work.
0: Um, I know you mentioned that you only received information about 10 days before, um, mm-hmm. before the rollout. So I guess the support and the information prior to this occurring was, definitely lacking
1: <laughs> yeah definitely yeah that's a bit of an understatement yeah
0: <laughs> and going forward because i guess um things are getting stage releases and and even with the first tranche of uh, 92 medications that released like no one knew that that list was coming out it was just released so i guess we're always just waiting to see what the next announcement is or the next is that how you're feeling
1: too yeah yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's um, it really is a bit of what are they going to hit us with next? You know, like like what? And, and um, just I, I think that the the fact that when it was originally sort of brought to everyone's attention that it was going to be all at once, all on the 1st of September, I, I think was just a – I think there was a few people that just looked at each other and went, what the f- – you know, what are we going to do like we can't do that um, now with it being rolled out over 18 months but not knowing what medications it affects um, it, it, there's going to be there's going to be ongoing issues but I think from the government side of things um, the communication has been really poor like the 60-day dispensing to OTP um, it, it, it it's been really poor like I, I think um, in 20 years that I've been a pharmacist I I can't think of a worse rollout of a a health policy and that includes the COVID vaccine rollout which was terrible like you know at that time I didn't actually think it could get any worse of a rollout but looking back on it now compared to this it's light light years ahead Um, I I can't think of a, a worse sort of rollout of a health policy and also The misinformation and and the the disingenuous messages that are coming out of government, I think, is is also quite hurtful to a lot of pharmacists. Um, We feel like we're being targeted and victimised a bit um, because, like I said, there's some perception out there that we're all billionaires and, you know, but most of us are just, you know, young small business owners with young kids, young families um, who have been doing it for a long time and um, decided to invest in our, in our communities. And um, it takes a lot of money and a lot of financial commitment to, to do it. Um, and particularly younger pharmacists than me that, are, that have gotten in um, really at what can only be said is the worst time possible. Um, you know, pharmacists that have just signed contracts, um, expecting their business to be worth X amount of dollars, and then finding out that it's dropped by 20, 30, 40% value um, when they've put their houses up as collateral. You know, it's it's heartbreaking. Um, at a time when a lot of pharmacists were struggling already um, after COVID and, and burnout with workloads and things like that, um, I think it's 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 a bit of a kick in the guts um so yeah yeah I think it's a pretty pretty bad pretty poor rollout and and I think a lot of pharmacists have just kind of had enough um in terms of just feeling like we're just getting hit once you know time and time and time again.
0: Do you have any advice to pharmacists um following your recent experiences
1: (laughs) um (laughs) oh wow um look it was a long time um being a pharmacist where people would ask whether it was a good profession to get into and there was a long time there where i'd actually advise against it um because of my experiences and things like that and and that there was better opportunities out there for younger people. Um, that changed probably five or six years ago. I really thought that it was starting to turn a corner. Um, it was a good profession to get into with things like extended scope of practice and, you know, um, um, wages and, and things like that finally starting to get better. Um, there, I think there was a sense of optimism around the profession about how it was actually looking. Um, that a particularly community pharmacy um, with things like extent, extended scope of practice, um, allowing us to to do things that we're well and truly capable of doing um, but never been able to do it. I think that gave a lot of pharmacists hope that, you know, like the service side of things and the, the health service delivery and the programs was going to be um, what we kind of all got into pharmacy for, I think um but now with this i i'd have to drastically question it again um whether you'd actually sort of recommend it to to younger pharmacists um i know a lot of younger pharmacists have are a changing careers dropping out of the, uh, dropping out of the profession um and it is it it is a really it is a good profession like it it, it is but i think the majority of pharmacists get into it for the right reasons and and to do good, and then when things like this happen, it seems like, Well, what did we do it for? Um, you know, like it can things it can just be taken away. You know, you you work hard for a long time and, and you get the opportunity to do things. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely has changed. Like, I, th- I think in the last three months, I think a lot of pharmacists are now questioning whether they continue being pharmacists. Um, Unfortunately, for some of us, we're, we're too invested, and we're, we're probably too old to start retraining. Um, but yeah, I, I, as for advice, look, I think I think most of us do it for the right reasons. We do it because we want to be involved in our community, we care about patients, and we and we and we want to be seen to be like we want to make a difference. Um, I really hope that we can still do that. Um, it's going to look different to what it did, but yeah, it, it, we just don't know. So I think that's uh, that's the underlying message is we just don't know what's gonna come around the corner. So, yeah.
0: Thank you. I thought I'd ask about your thoughts on the regional pharmacy maintenance allowance boost. Um, there's been some discussion
1: yeah yeah um so um the the regional funding maintenance um it's a little bit of a strange one um up until two years ago we didn't actually qualify so um it wasn't until they changed the criteria for um for how they assessed whether you're regional or remote that we actually qualified um we only qualify for Fairly moderate um, uh, um, allowance, um, $3,000. Um, and if that gets doubled, I mean, it's it'll go to six. But when you've got the modelling showing that a pharmacy is potentially going to lose upwards of $180,000 a year, an extra $3,000 a year doesn't really make a dent in that. Um, for more remote and, uh, you know, and and very small remote pharmacies, I think it's going to be beneficial, um, but I don't think it's going to save a lot of them. I I just don't know how you can take that sort of money out of pharmacies and even with the the doubling of the allowance, I think only a few it would make a difference to. Um, but yeah, as for as for us, um, because we're we're two hours out of metropolitan Melbourne, um, but we are still a fairly big regional area. Um, uh, it's a little bit different to say a Bendigo or Ballarat, where it's a, a one big central city. where sort of five towns spread out over a big area, um, but they kind of lump us together collectively for population resources. So. It's a little bit tricky on that side of things, but um, it's it's probably not going to make a huge difference to us. Um, I'm sure it will to some pharmacies, but it would be on a case-by-case basis as, as to whether it can actually make up for some of the, the decrease in their, their remuneration through 60 days.
0: Um, have you started making any changes or thought about some of the changes that you'll be making to your pharmacies
1: with the 60 day? Um, we haven't made any changes as yet. Once again, it, it's, it's a bit unknown as to actually what's going to. We, we've done some, some fairly preliminary modelling um, and, and things like that. I think in the short term, the OTP programme rollout kind of took priority in terms of actually because that was going to happen now and we, and we had to act quicker on that. So um, the cynical part of me sort of says, well, it was a good distraction from 60 days. Um, for the government to sort of say, well, the stopped, pharmacies have stopped in about 60 days because they've got the OTP program right now. Um, but in terms of changes, I mean, I, I think until we see the, the, how large the financial impact is going to be, um, it's going to be a little bit hard to gauge. I think a lot of pharmacies are going to have to look at their rostering um, and their opening hours. I think that's going to be the first first part that everybody looks at um obviously the services that they offer or or the the costs of those services so um increases to um daa packing fees um delivery fees um you know those sorts of services signing of stat decks things like that i think every farm is going to look at that um the and we, and my pharmacies will have to look at that to, to sort of help offset that. Um, I think a lot of pharmacies are going to look at the, the one dollar discount on the on the PBS scripts. Um, whether they can afford to pass that on anymore um, is going to be a big one as well. And um, and then obviously, worst case scenario would be closures of pharmacies. So. Um, as I said, I've got two stores in in mall. Um, there's always the possibility of having to close one and and move into the other, um, but we just we just don't know. Obviously, that would be a worst case scenario if we had to, but um, I think no options are off the table. I think um, for for most people, um, as I said. without sort of knowing figures, I'd say the large majority of pharmacists have extremely large debts um, that need to be serviced one way or another. Um, And so I don't think any options are really off the table in terms of what we actually do. Um, As for services and charging the services, I think that's also going to be one of the unintended consequences of 60 days is that the patients who this is being marketed as, oh, this is going to be, a great cost of living saving for them, I don't actually think it's going to be. Um, a lot of the patients might be on the PBS safety net and for them, their out-of-pocket script expenses are going to be the same. Um, if they're on sort of, you know, more than six scripts a month, they're actually going to end up no financially better off from the 60 days. Um, but things like home delivery that they rely on or DAA packing that they rely on, those sorts of things, are going to cost them more. So the patients that, as a a society, I think we should be looking after better, are going to be the ones that are going to uh, cop the worst of it. Um, And I think that some of the people who uh, probably don't necessarily need as much relief are going to be the ones that get the biggest relief from it. Um, Like... uh, Someone like myself, for example, if you're on a prescription medication, I'm probably going to end up saving more money on my prescription medications than a 65-year-old pensioner who can't get out of the house and gets a DAA pack and we have to deliver it to them. And to me, that's just wrong. Like when you've got someone young, able-bodied who can do those things and I'm going to see a better financial and I work full-time and I own a business and I'm going to see a bigger Financial benefit from my prescriptions than what a 65, 70 year old pensioner is. That's wrong. But I, I think philosophically, it's just not right. Um, so I think that's one of the that once again one of the unintended consequences. There's not really getting enough airplay out there. I think in terms of how patients who are on safety nets and there's already things in there in in the PBS to save patients money who are on a lot of medications. Um, but I, it's pretty easy to sit back and say this is going to save x amount of people x amount of dollars but is it really um i think that's that's a bit disingenuous all pharmacists out there um want to see patients paying less for their medications i think that's a i think that's a a given across the industry i don't think there's any pharmacists out there that would begrudge people for for having eased cost of living, particularly at this time, um, in the in the current financial climate, um, but the way that the government has sort of announced these changes and and trying to implement these changes, it, it just it it just doesn't make sense. It, it, it when you actually look at what the flow on effects are going to be and the unintended consequences going to be. There was there's better ways for the government to to ease those costs of pressures um, through decreasing you know patient co-payments um, those sorts of things I think you know there there is better better ways to do it and I think it's going to have a lot of like I said unintended consequences and flow on effects that no one knows exactly how bad it's going to be. Um, but I think it's pretty universal that uh, every pharmacist I've spoken to uh, can't see that it's going to be a good thing. Um, and that's from employee pharmacists, owner pharmacists, consultant pharmacists. Um, it's not just owners who are, who are going to see the, the worst of this. Um, I actually think employee pharmacists are going to see it pretty bad as well because um, unfortunately their employee pharmacists can be let go to save costs um owners can go back into work in their shops or work longer hours to to make up that difference um so i think it's going to it's going to affect every pharmacist across the industry um locums um it's going to affect them you know like if, if pharmacists um lose their regular positions they're going to there's going to be more pharmacists available, so local pharmacists are going to miss out as well. Um, it, it's, going to have a, it's going to have a huge follow-on effect, um, and, and I, I think that's something that hasn't been given a whole lot of thought.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJPPodcast and send us a message.